it's that time of year again. We just begin a new year. Spring's here. The flowers are blooming. Birds are singing. It's getting warmer. Not so much today. Probably not tomorrow. <laughs> but it has been it has been nice the last week or so. I love the the beginning of the year. Everything's starting over. It's made new. A new year means several things. It means uh, Yahweh's feast are upon us. As you all know, Yahweh's spaced out his feast, some in the first part of the year, some in the second part of the year. In the first part of the year, we celebrate the feast of Passover and unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost. And in the second part, we celebrate the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Shoutings, and the Feast of Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, there's one institution that I'd like to talk to you specifically about today, because it's on the horizon and it's very near to my heart, and that's the Lord's Supper. It comes right before Passover. I know most of you know me pretty well and kind of know my background, but just in case that just in case there's somebody in here who don't, I'd like to tell you a little bit about my, my Christian walk and, and where I've come from. I was born into a Christian family, and I was brought up in church when I was young. We were what I would call probably a common Christian family. We went to church most every Sunday and sometimes on Wednesday. We were there every time uh, they would have some kind of special gathering, like specifically homecoming. We made sure we were there to eat. And uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day, things like that, we would always go then. Easter, Christmas things like that. We made sure we were there then. We were Baptist, and we followed most of what we knew to follow biblically. That's the way I was raised. However, I can't ever remember celebrating the Lord's Supper as a child. I've asked my mother several times, and she assures me that we celebrated the Lord's Supper most of the time twice a year, but I can't ever remember doing it as a child. So anyways, as I, get, as I got older, my family kind of stopped going to church and it wasn't until I was grown with my own family that I started attending a new Baptist church in Covington. I remember the first time that I'd ever seen a small cup of grape juice and a tray filled with little flat crackers pass in front of me. We prayed, and there was, we were kind of instructed to take the emblems, that that was, the rep- that was representation of the, of the blood and the body of our Lord. I basically participated because everybody else did. Now, I know that that might sound strange to you, but for me, this was the extent of the knowledge I had and the experience I had in the Lord's Supper. That's all I knew about it. Well, I never thought much of it. I wasn't a Bible student per se, and I never really did any research on my own. And I just participated with everyone else, and I just didn't, I never gave it much thought. And a few years later, I met Kim, and I, and I started attending a church where she grew up, Bethel Christian Church right over here off of Bethel Road, I found that they took the Lord's Supper, or communion as they called it, and they did it every every week. The Church of Christ, or the offshoot of the Church of Christ, they do it every week. Baptist churches, Methodist churches sometimes do it quarterly, sometimes uh, twice a year, things like that. Anyway, so I found that they uh, that they practice this once a week. And so at that point, I began to get all all kinds of practice at it. I got to take it once a week. I was getting good at taking communion. So um, now keep in mind, I'm, not, I'm still not a very vigorous Bible student. I don't know much about studying the Bible. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm young in my walk and in my faith. 
oh, I'm saved and all. I was saved when I was 12 in the Baptist church, you know. I definitely was saved. I'd been baptized and all that, but, but I still had, I didn't know much about communion and that kind of stuff. I wasn't a, I wasn't a real, real good Bible student. And so before communion, every service, someone in the, in the uh, Christian church that we were attending, someone would get up and stand behind the pulpit and he'd give a little devotion type thing about communion before we would take it. And usually they would read 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. If you're not familiar with the text, it goes like this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. Now they said this almost every week. They would quote that passage or either Matthew 26, the Lord's Supper passage. They would quote that passage almost every week before we would take communion. So I'm starting to, I'm starting to get the idea here. Now keep in mind, I'm still not very learned on communion at this point, but I'm starting to put some stuff together. I realize that it's a memorial for our Lord's death. At least I got that part down. It says that in the passage we just read. But this is where I was at. I'd talk to Kim about it. I'd even consult friends about it from time to time. But I don't know that I ever asked Yahweh about what communion meant or the Lord's Supper meant. I just kept on doing the same routine week after week after week until we didn't attend Bethel Church anymore. Anyway, everybody knows our history with Bethel, I think. I've, I've kind of given my testimony about that several times, how I come out of the church because of things that we didn't agree with, and some things they taught that once we started to study our Bible, we didn't agree with, so we left. Well, after, so there's a couple month gap between the time that I left Bethel Christian Church before we started coming here. And during that time, I conversed a lot with Matthew about all kinds of things. So I learned real quick, that y'all are weird. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I learned real quick that y'all are weird. But even though I began learning a lot more about about these things, Matthew helped me along the way, and I hadn't even thought about the subject of communion yet. I mean, I talked to him about several things, but not not the subject of communion. So anyway, he began coming. We began coming to church here, and it was right about the time of Passover, I think, when we started to come. So keep in mind, I'm coming from. Bethel Christian Church up here, I have no understanding of Yahweh's law. I went to a church where they taught that the law was destroyed. I didn't know anything about feast days. I didn't know anything about Yahweh's laws. I'm lost when it comes to this stuff. We start coming right before Passover. And as you all know, the Lord's Supper takes place the night before Passover. We didn't come the first year. We didn't come to the Lord's Supper. I can't remember why. But I think it's because we didn't know about it, to be honest. Matthew probably didn't invite us out of caution, which is fine. <laughs> because with the Lord's Supper comes a foot washing ceremony. And he probably realized we weren't quite ready. We might not have come back to Passover had he invited us to the foot washing service before. Okay. Anyway, we did come to Passover that first year, and we celebrated with, with you guys, and we have ever since. And praise Yahweh for his feast days, and I'm thankful for him. So finally, 
at that time, we really started to study the Bible, and we learned so many things were contrary to what we already had thought, you know, from what we grew up learning. We realized that we had to stop turning our noses of the stuff we didn't understand and start listening to Yahweh. We also started comparing our lives to the Scriptures, and we let Yeshua be our example rather than some church creed or some pastor or an old nominal Baptist or, chi- uh, or a pastor of an old nominal Baptist or Christian church. So that first year, as we studied about Passover, we were automatically led into the Lord's Supper. We were forced to study about it. So I remember talking to Matthew about it, length, at it length, talking about it with him at length several times, and just just gaining number one a new perspective altogether, but number two a completely new knowledge of what it is, what it means, and how to participate in it. I'm so thankful for that knowledge. I'm thankful for Matthew who has taught me and helped me along, and I'm thankful for Yahweh for revealing truth to me. I'm very thankful for that. And by his grace and mercy, I pray that he'll continue to reveal truth to me and never stop for as long as I'm alive. So now that you know where I come from, and with all that said, I want to talk to you tonight about the part of the Lord's Supper that I found so weird and strange just because it was not like anything I'd ever participated in before. I want to go over the foot washing part with you. How many people in here want to be biblical? Really want to be biblical. How many people love Yahweh and want to do what he says, even if it means being a little bit different than the rest of the world? Now, I know that, that most everybody in here is partaking of the Lord's Supper. Most everybody that's sitting here has done this before, and, and they've participated in a foot washing before, but there may be somebody on the radio who is not. There may be somebody in here who has never, never participated in, in the Lord's Supper. So washing each other's feet. <laughs> that might not seem weird to anybody in here, but it's definitely not common in the culture we live in today to wash other people's feet. And I had not grown up doing this from my youth, so it was weird to me. It was strange. I hear people washing other people's feet, and I thought that was something. I mean, you know, you read about it in the Bible, but you don't think, man, we're never going to do that. But if we're but if we're the children of the Almighty, our standard has to be His standard. We can't judge things by our own eyes. And we must do what he says. So let's turn our Bible to John chapter 13. And I want to I wanna show you why we wash people's feet. John chapter 13, and we'll read verses 1 through 20 just to get the context, but I want to concentrate on verses 6 through 17. John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Before the Passover festival, Yeshua knew that his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Yeshua knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from the Almighty, and that he was going back to the Almighty. So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Yeshua answered him, What I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you will know. You will never wash my feet, ever, Peter said. Yeshua replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. 
One who has bathed, Yeshua told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is, he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, you are not all clean. Verse 12. When Yeshua had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. This, this is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen. But the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I assure you, the one who receives the one who receives whomever I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. Again, we're not going to go over all 20 verses. I wanted to cover 6 through 17. But before we go back, I want to mention the entire theme of this passage, the whole point of the foot washing. The point I want to drive home to you today is humility. Humility is the opposite of pride. It's so often today that we're caught up in our own selfish selfishness and pride. Everything we look at or hear or read in the world points to ourselves, to our self-fulfillment, our self-image, our self-esteem, our self-centeredness, pride. Yeshua was just the opposite. In the passage we just read, Yeshua paints a picture against pride and totally for humility. In what are literally the last hours before his death, Yeshua is not concerned with himself. Instead, he demonstrates the up demonstrates the utmost love for his disciples, and in total humility he washes their feet. Keep humility in your mind as we go back through these verses, verse by verse. Verse 6, I want to read it again and then we'll, we'll cover it in detail. Verse 6 and 7, it says, He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Yeshua answered him, What I'm doing you don't understand now, but after you, afterwards you'll know. So Peter here seems astonished. Rightly so. Yeshua's business to wash his feet. See, foot washing is not common to us, but it was real common to them. During that time, everyone traveled dusty, dirty roads all day long. They didn't wear Nikes. They didn't have them. They, put, they wore sandals. Their feet were dirty. They were nasty. If they, if they walked, they usually, I mean, if they traveled, they, they usually walked. Very few people rode animals. Most of them led animals, you know. So they walked. And, and when you would come to someone's home, every home would have a large pot or a basin, of water at the door to wash your feet before you enter the house. Or a lot of them would. I don't know that all of them would, but I think for the majority. Usually as you or a guest would enter a home, a slave would wash your feet. Somebody's, somebody's servant will wash your feet. So Peter, Peter realized that. In verse 6 right here, he realizes that the, that the lowest of all things that could be, that jobs that you could have would be to, wash, to be the slave that washes somebody's feet at the door. That's the lowest of all jobs. And so he says to Yeshua, he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Yeshua tells him, you don't understand now, but you will, Peter. Peter assures Yeshua that he will never wash his feet. Peter assures Yeshua that he will never again wash his, or never wash his dirty feet. 
Again, Peter is thinking that being a lowly, that's a lowly slave's job. Can you imagine how the disciples must have felt when the master, who they had been following and seen perform miracles, it starts to kneel down to wash one of their feet? Can you imagine what it would be like if Yeshua announced that he was fixing to come to your house? How would you clean your house? How would you prepare for our Lord, our King, to walk in your house? If he was fixing to wash your feet, you would probably cringe knowing that he's he's fixing to clean the the dirty soles of your feet, knowing that he's as prestigious as he is. I think Peter, Peter may have been thinking, this is the promised king. I think that's what was going through his mind. He shouldn't perform the act of a slave by washing my feet. But Yeshua looks beyond the physical act, and he tells Peter, if I don't wash you, you'll have no part with me. He's using the physical act of foot washing to show the disciples the spiritual truth of washing the inner man. In other words, he's showing Peter that his blood has to wash him or he has no salvation. It's kind of a metaphor. This is brought to, brought to life in verses 9 and 10. In verse 9 it says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. No one has bathed, Yeshua told him. Or one who has bathed, Yeshua told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. But he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. Peter seems kind of desperate here. He's still thinking physically, so he so he says. He's still thinking physically, so he says, "If that's what it takes to have a part with you, then don't just wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, wash my whole body. I want to have a part with you." Physically, a man would take a bath in the morning and be clean all day, except his feet would get dirty from walking the roads. So he didn't continually have to take baths all day long. He just needed to wash his feet. But again, the physical explanation has a spiritual meaning. Yeshua is using the physical foot washing to explain that his body, or that his blood, washes the inner man. Once you've been bathed in this redemption, you're clean and you don't need to be bathed or redeemed again. But you might need to wash your feet. You might have to repent of sin and wash your feet. But you're still clean. The only way we get this redemption is through the washing of the Messiah. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6. It says this. It says, He saves us not by works that we have done, but according to His mercy, by the washing or regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon upon us through Yeshua the Messiah, our Savior. See, no one has this regeneration without the cleansing of the blood of of Christ. And Yeshua is explaining that to Peter. He's saying, hey, Peter, you must submit to this kind of washing. He's preparing them for his coming death and what that, and what that means for them. But then, he's not, but then he says, not all of you are completely clean. And why does he say this? The answer, the answer is in verse 11. In verse 11 it says this, for he knew that someone would betray him. This is why he said, you're not all clean. Yeshua knew that Judas would betray him. So he's still speaking in the spiritual sense here. He's saying that all your hearts aren't clean. All of your hearts aren't clean, Peter. Speaking of the twelve, there's one of you that's wicked. You you are, but there's one there's one among you that's that's wicked. His heart's not be been reborn. He's he's not been washed. Verse twelve through fourteen. When Yeshua had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, "Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. This." This is well said, for I am. So if you 
So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Yeshua finished washing their, washing their feet. He puts back on his robe. He reclines back at the table and he says, Do you realize what I've just done for you? Do you get the picture I just painted for you? Remember in verse 6, Peter didn't want Yeshua to wash his feet because of the disgrace it would, it would, it would be for him to wash his feet. Yeshua understood that. Yeshua understands that, that thought and agrees with them, saying, you call me teacher and Lord, and, and rightfully so. You're, you're calling me exactly what I am. Yeshua knows how prestigious he is. He doesn't need to be reminded by his disciples. He realizes that he's the, the son of the Almighty. And he also realize, realizes that he's going to return to the Almighty. He makes that clear in verse 3, where he says, Yeshua knew that the Father had given everything into his hand, that he had come from the Almighty, and that he was going back to the Almighty. So Yeshua says, you are right. I am the Lord. I am your teacher. Can, I am the Lord. Can, man, I am getting mixed up here. I'm trying to read my paper. So, so if I, your Lord, can wash your feet, then shouldn't you also wash each, wash each other's feet? Humility is what's being shown here. If the promised King and Savior can take care, can take of the form of a, take on the form of a servant and wash their feet, shouldn't they be willing to operate in the same humility? Philippians chapter two and verse five is, through seven it says this: Make your own attitude that of Christ. He did not consider equality with the Almighty as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming, the form of a, by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. This is what's to be learned from the foot washing. It's humility. And then he tells us in verse 15, I gave you an example that you should do as I did for you. There's your commandment. There's your commandment to wash the feet. So you see, our Lord and Savior was humble servant, even to the end. Why should we be any different? We should follow the same example that he gave us and make our attitudes the same as his. We're certainly not greater than Yeshua is. In verse 16, it says, I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. He reiterates the point. A slave is not greater than his master. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Once again, we are slaves bought with a price, and we're supposed to be apostles of our Lord, messengers going out for the sake of the lost. <clears throat> I think Yeshua knew that when he left, his disciples would become great among the world, that they would have powers like no others. But, but that still doesn't make them greater than the one who sent them out. He set this example to show his disciples how they should be humble. So just as a reminder to them, he is saying, as great as I am, your Lord and Master, I can take on the lowest form of a slave and wash the feet of people below me. So should you do the same to one another when I'm gone. In verse 17, it says, If you know these things, you are blessed, and if you do them. Do you want to be blessed? I think everybody in here wants to be blessed. I want to be blessed. Then do these things. Develop a servant's heart, a heart like Yeshua. Humble yourself like he humbled himself. If he was willing to take the form of a take on the form of a servant and wash the dirty feet of a sinner, we should be willing to practice that same humility towards our brothers. So earlier I told you all that I had come to the Lord's Supper, that if I had come to the Lord's Supper that first year, that I might not have made it to Passover. Now you know why. 
That's because in my mind, washing people's feet was weird. It probably would have thrown me for a loop, and I really would have shot away from you guys. However, my reason would have been based on traditions of men and customs that I had held dear rather than perfect than the perfect example that Yeshua set for us here in John chapter 13. Now, if you compare these passages to the other Gospels, you'll know that foot washing takes place after the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup. But for me today, I just wanted to cover the part of foot washing. See, in the background that I gave you of myself, there was never any foot washing going on. So in part, there never really was a Lord's Supper. You can't have... You can't have the Lord's Supper and not wash people's feet. It all comes together. You can't have Passover without a lamb. It just don't work. On the night that on the night that he was betrayed, he not only they not only broke the bread and drank the cup, they also washed each other's feet. Or he washed their feet and set an example for them to do in the future and for us to do in the future. This is a time to memorialize Yeshua and I know that we're we are to memorialize his body that was broken by the bread, or that was broken. We do that by eating the bread, and we're also to memorialize his blood by the drinking of the cup. But are we not also to memorialize his humble, selfless life by the washing of feet, like he taught us? I remember the first time I heard that we were going to wash feet. I laughed, and I said, I may be absent that day. <laughs> I might not show up. But I'm ashamed of that now. I'm ashamed of that. The greatest, the greatest king that ever walked the face of the earth washed the lowliest of man's feet. And I thought I was too good. So this year, when it's time to partake in the king's body and of his blood, remember to partake in his humility also. For it was that blameless, humble king that hung on a tree so that we might be cleansed. So that we might be washed in, re- in regeneration and renewed by the Holy Spirit so that we could share in his righteousness. And brothers and sisters, I hope that you realize that we're not worthy of any of that. Not one bit of it. Not one bit of it. We're wretched, filthy sinners. Without that washing, without his cleansing blood, and without the grace and the mercy of Almighty Yahweh, we're doomed. So again, the Lord's Supper and foot washing next Thursday night, I think at 8 o'clock. Am I right? I hope you'll be here. I hope you'll examine yourselves and take on a humble spirit and attitude when you come to partake. We'll be blessed if we do so. It says it in verse 17 that we'll be blessed. Before we pray, I want to I want to leave you with a little a little nugget I just I discovered when I was studying this this week. <clears throat> Some of you may know it. If you do, hey, you probably slept since you figured it out, so you can hear it again. Um, when I was studying this week, I was I was going over the Lord's Supper and the breaking of the body and things like that. <clears throat> However, the word hocus pocus, everybody knows the magical word hocus pocus or whatever does anybody in here know where it comes from nobody <clears throat> all right well the word hocus pocus actually actually stems from uh from martin luther and uh and maybe the catholic priest and things like that that's where it comes from everybody in here i think are are several people in here are familiar with the with the great reformation they were they were reforming the the doctrines of the church creeds and things like that. And there were several of the church fathers involved in this, Martin Luther, John Calvin, people like that. <clears throat> well, John Calvin and Martin Luther are having this uh, having this debate. One thing that they were reforming is the is the Lord's Supper. One thing that they were that they were going over. 
Martin Luther believed in something called transubstantiation, or what the Roman Catholicism called transubstantiation. He believed that when you took the emblems, the blood, I mean the, the cup and the bread, when you swallowed them, during the prayer of the priest, these emblems were actually transformed into the true body and the true blood of Christ. Okay. John Calvin, however, he believed that that um, when you took the the cup and the bread, that it represented the body and the blood of Christ, but it wasn't necessarily changed into the body of blood and the blood of Christ, you know, during the process of going through your body. So they were debating this this argument in the 16th century, and um, Martin Luther kept quoting a phrase in Latin, and it and it and it goes like this: "It's hocus corpus man." He would say, hocus corpus man. And what that means in Latin is, this is my body. This is my body. So every time that John Calvin would say, hey, uh, it's, not, it's not literal. It doesn't, it doesn't change into it. Martin Luther would say, hocus corpus man. Hocus corpus man. He would keep saying it over and over and over again. He said, Yeshua wouldn't say, this is my body if it's not my body. That was, that was, his, that was his defense and, the, and all that. Well, Later on, the the priest and the I guess not the Catholic Church anymore, but but the priest and the Lutheran Church when they would do uh, the liturgy and take the Lord's Supper, they did it. I think they did it weekly. Also, I'm not sure, but I think they did it weekly. Also, as they would do it, the priest would read out of the Latin Vulgate, and he would read "Hocus Corpus Man," "Hocus Corpus Man," when when he would when he would read the liturgy, and everybody. Spoke English. They didn't speak Latin anymore. They were speaking the English language. So they would sit in the back of the church and they would say, "Well, there goes the priest again with the hocus pocus stuff," and that's where hocus pocus comes from. So uh, I thought it was funny. I mean, who would have ever thought it? But that's that's uh, that's actually where it stems from. You know, we we hear hocus pocus and you wave your hand over a hat and a rabbit pops out and that kind of stuff. But that's actually where it comes from. But it but it comes from a biblical a biblical reference. And uh, it means that this is my body. So anyway, uh, Lord's Supper is right around the corner. Prepare yourself if you're gonna if you're gonna commune with with our with our Lord. Prepare yourself. Be ready to to take the take the communion and and uh, to participate in the Lord's Supper. And um, I guess that's it. We'll pray and get out of here. Yahweh, Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your blessing. Father, thank you for your love and your compassion on us. We thank you for your Son. And we thank you for the, the body that was broken. And we thank you for the, for the blood that was shed for our, for our sins. Father, we're not worthy. We'll never be worthy. But, Father, we're grateful. We're grateful that you've, that you've cleansed our soul with a perfect blood, a blood that can't be washed away. Father, we love you and we... We thank you for all that you've done for us. We ask all this in your holy son's name. Amen.